0: All right, good morning, everyone. We're picking back up in our study of Amos. We're going to go through some of the minor prophets, not all of them. And so right now we're in Amos chapter 6. There's only nine chapters, so we'll probably be nearing completion this week, finishing up the last bit of it next. And then next week, probably starting into Obadiah, which is only one chapter. So that'll kind of be a good little buffer for... One week study, probably, of that, unless we all have a bunch of questions. We'll see. But we still got a bit to go in Amos, but before any of that, we'll begin with an invocation and prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Alright, so to catch everyone back up to speed on this. So remember we had those eight oracles. The first six were for all the pagan nations. Israel's all fat and happy at that. Then the oracle against Judah, they're still pretty happy. And then the oracle comes against Israel, and, well, we've been in that for the past couple weeks now, so see just how much Amos has to say to the people of Israel about that. So We're in this midst of this sermon against them, if you want to think of it as a sermon in that way. So that carries us through chapter 3 into 4. In 4 we see the five different times that the Lord, or that the children of Israel have not returned to the Lord. All these things that he had done did not, did not return in repentance. Then in 5, we had the start, at the start of 5, kind of that funeral dirge of that virgin who is lying forsaken on her land with no one to raise her up. So the image of just this dead body on the side of the road, essentially. Just no one there, this helplessness of Israel, even though, you know, the words of, was it Monty Python? I'm not dead yet. But the Lord is here giving them their funeral dirge of their future, of their death and their demise. And then in five, we still continue on with this idea of seek me and live. The Lord is calling them to return to him, kind of this love song to them almost of, these are all the things that I've done for you. Seek me and live. I don't desire you to die, but this is nevertheless what will happen. Then at the end of five, we have the Lord even despising their feasts and all these different liturgical acts that they are doing because while they're doing it at the temple and doing all these acts for the Lord, they're also going down to the pagan temple down the road and doing the same things. So the the Lord does not desire their sacrifices or accept any of these because well they're doing the exact same thing to all the other pagan gods. But nevertheless, we're the people of Israel, so we're we're doing just fine here. We've got the Lord. So then that takes us into chapter six, the new material here, and he's still continuing on with this sermon, just not letting up at all here. So in six one he begins with woe, so woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria. So that language of those who are at ease, those who are complacent, is the original language there. And so again, with the people of Israel, we're fine, we're doing all these sacrifices. Hey, we're doing the burnt offerings and these peace offerings and these grain offerings. So we're, we're sitting just fine. We're at ease. Those who feel secure... on the mountain of Samaria. The root there, at least according to the commentators and through the lexicon, the dictionary of it, kind of has a notion of putting their trust in. So there's this language of trust here. So those who trust, put their trust on this mount of Samaria. So they're putting their trust in this rather than actual faithful worship of the Lord. They're thinking they're going to be just fine there. The, no, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel come. So these notable men, all these people of Israel, are coming to them because, well, they're of nobility, they're wise, they're coming to them for everything. The first of the nations. So those, those of the first of the nations. The language there is that of head, rosh. So what's the head is the first, the more, most important, the head of a board or something, kind of that same idea. So they are the first of the nations. And we'll see that language carry out through the rest of chapter 6, and we'll hit on that as we go there. So he's saying, The notable men, the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes, pass over to Kalna and see, and from there go to Hamath the great, then go down to Goth of the Philistines. So, these, I don't even think they appear on the map that I had originally handed out. I didn't look too closely. But these would kind of be those big military structures, these fortifications, and go, you know, pass over and look at these different great military institutions, you know, kind of like the Pentagon or these different bases around the U.S., something to that effect of go look at all these places. Are you better than these kingdoms, or is their territory greater than your territory? Just how mighty they are, and just how little the speck you are in comparison. Remember of all the destruction that the Lord has done, and has promised to all these other pagan nations as well, and saying they have all these fortifications, but are you greater than these? Or is their territory greater than yours? So they're even mightier than they than you are but yet the Lord is still able to destroy even them. Verse 3. O you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. So this day of disaster we've seen it play out in different ways throughout Amos it's the day of the Lord or some of those different ways but it's all speaking about that same day the day of vengeance the day of disaster disaster or it's more like the day of evil or wickedness that will come and bring near the seat of violence so they're putting far away they're discounting this day of disaster that's going to come as Amos has promised all along here and they bring near the seat of violence so they're casting far off this day of judgment that the lord has promised but they'll bring near this seat of violence to come upon them. Woe, in verse 4, woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall. So those who are lying on beds of ivory, again, these wealthy houses, it's not that it's going to be comfortable, you know, lying on a bed of ivory and not, you know, a memory foam Mattress or something. We had all these people of Israel afflicting the poor. And we'll see this continue on throughout Amos. Of them, you know, oppressing the poor, being greedy with them, being dishonest for their own gain. Where they have all these summer houses and these winter houses as a result of oppressing the poor. So they are lying on these beds of ivory. So They're stretching themselves out on their couches. So that posture of feasting that we have, you know, all throughout the Old or the New Testament, we see Jesus reclining at table. That same type of posture. We're not sitting, you know, chairs, no elbows on the table at the dinner table. We're reclining down, feasting. So they're eating lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall. So these are foods of feasting. So they're feasting all the time. They're they have these beds of ivory, and they're reclining on these couches. So they're feasting day in and day out in the midst of all of this turmoil that's going to be coming to them. They can't be bothered about that because we have all the food that we could ever want, and we're doing just fine here. Absolutely no connection to today of us feasting all the time and thinking we're all fine and good here. Verse 5, Who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, and like David, invent for themselves instruments of music. So they're singing these idle songs, and they even have the nerve to say, and like David, invent for themselves instruments of music. David, one of the great musicians, bringing out all this church music for the temple and everything. And like David... They're bringing in their own instruments, their own music. It's just these idol songs, this worthless music that they are doing here. Who drink wine in bowls, not wine and even cups, and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. So that word there for bowls is the same word for, used for basins, So like at the altar and everything in the Old Old Testament sacrificial system, it's these huge basins. So it's that same language, whether or not it's actually these huge basins or not. But the language here suggests these sacred bowls, potentially, that they're using to slurp wine endlessly. I don't know, we don't have the big, giant wine bottles back in the sacristy, Like growing up, we had the one or two-gallon wine bottles sitting in there. We had the little smaller bottles back there. It would be the equivalent of just going back there, drinking straight from the bottle type of thing, or pouring in the chalice and then chugging away and getting drunk off the wine. Just a complete abomination of all the things that are holy. They're using that for their own gain, reclining and just drinking as much as they want. So they anoint themselves with the finest... That same word, a root is used again, that head, that first, the best, oils. So in the midst of all this, they're using the sacred instruments or the sacred vessels to drink wine. They anoint themselves with these these fine oils, but they're not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. They see the complete destruction coming for Israel, but we can't be bothered about that. We're doing we're doing just fine here. Got our own feast. Everything's everything's good here. They can't concern themselves with the destruction of the people and the wickedness that they are doing. And though they are doing the same wickedness, they're not concerned at all about the civil matters going on. They just lock themselves away, you know, plug their ears, close their eyes, and drink the wine. And that's all. So they're not grieved. They're Don't have any concern of the ruin of Joseph that is coming. So the ruin of Joseph, we see that, you know, with Joseph who was thrown into the pit. And then his brothers, you know, well, they're fine. They're not in the pit. They can go back home, eat and do whatever and all that. Meanwhile, so we have that same idea of Joseph while he is, you know, in the pit in despair, they're out there, you know, living their best life as you may say. So in verse 7, therefore they shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and the revelry, revel, revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. So those who are making themselves first, who, have, who are the notable men, the first of the nations, who drink the first and the best wine or Anoint themselves with the first and the best oils. All right, you want to be first? You'll be first, all right, but you'll be first into exile. You like to be first, and so there you are, front of the line. You'll be first, those who go into exile. And all that will pass away. All the great songs and the great joy will pass away. Verse 8. the lord god has sworn by himself declares the lord the god of hosts so here we have the lord swearing by himself not swearing by an oath or by jacob or anything like that but rather him swearing by himself so the complete certainty of that so i'm swearing by myself as the god the creator of everything you're a lord and you're master swearing by myself, I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds, and I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. So he pours, he hates this pride that they have of thinking that they are better off than everyone, they're doing just fine, they're doing all the sacrifices as they should be. Sarcasm there. So the Lord hates that. He hates his, and hates his strongholds. So all these military fortifications that they've built, thinking that you know we can just fortify ourselves enough where we're protected from anything that could, wicked could come our way. We'll see this more as we continue on in chapter 6. Again, be thinking of events going on in this day, even here in the U.S., of we have all of our militaries, all this. Nothing can come our way. We're, we're protected from everything. We can have pagan sacrifices down the road, come back here, and well, we're still God's chosen nation. What is the Lord saying here to them? He abhors that pride. He hates all of that, all those strongholds that you think you can build a tall enough or thick enough wall to protect yourself from the Lord, the creator of everything. Good luck with that. We'll see how that goes for you. We'll see this continue on in chapter 6, and we'll hit on it again here in a moment. But I'll pause there and see if there's any thoughts, contemplations, questions. Yeah, Chris.
1: I was thinking that... uh, is it correct that it's it's not necessarily that there's something wrong with ease or music? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, uh, music is condemned a couple of times there. It, it's not that there's something wrong with that, but that they prefer that or even just enjoy that without being grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Mm-hmm. So you were saying that the, the ruin of Joseph is to come, but is it is it also to be understood as Joseph being their brother, you know, the brother of Israel? Mm-hmm. And and so, earlier in chapter 2, verse 6, it says, because they sell the righteous for silver. So, like, Joseph was sold by his brothers, right, for mm. a prophet. Yeah. And then it made me think that the, um, that's kind of like a, would that be an allusion to Christ, they, because they sell the righteous for silver? I don't know.
0: I think it, very possibly, yeah. To me. We even get that, you know, with Judas, yeah, selling him over, betraying him. And we'll get some language, was it in chapter 8, some allusions to this destruction that will come and it will be darkness on the land at noonday and all these things. So we see these same kind of parallels, this destruction or this wrath of God against his people and then ultimately all that reduced down to Christ, the full wrath of God being poured out on him. So yeah, I think those are some worthy, worthy connections there. And then as far as that music and everything, I mean, absolutely, to your point, it's not bad at all. The Lord says, make a joyful noise. You know, we are to do that, but rather they're oppressing God's people and then making their own music and thinking, this is great. This is still God's music. We're good. Yeah, absolutely. Even then, it's not even got, it's just idle songs, just these worthless songs, just this noisy gong, if you would. Any other thoughts, connections? All right. So in verse 9, And if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And when one's relative, the one who anoints him for burial, shall take him up to bring the bones out of the house, and shall say to him who is in the innermost parts of the house, is there still anyone with you? He shall say, No. He shall say, Silence. We must not mention the name of the Lord. So you'll call backing up into 5, verse 3, we have in that funeral dirge, The city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. So this near complete decimation of the house of Israel from A thousand to a hundred, then from a hundred to ten. And now we have that same and if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. So even that those ten that are left decimated. So then one's relative, so the one who's coming in to anoint him, so that he's gonna take the bones out of the house, so there's just nothing left of these people. It's just their bones. So they've been in there a while, just completely decaying. Taking the bones out, shall say to him, who's in the innermost, is there still anyone with you, shall say no. So this complete and utter silence in this house. There is no one there left. He shall say, silence. We must not mention the name of the Lord. Any thoughts on why that may be? Why silence? Why is he saying silence? Don't mention the name of the Lord. They know the Lord bringing it upon them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it is the Lord who has brought that. So.
2: Yeah, and it's also the unrepentant part of them, too, going, the other part, they, unrepentant. They see the disaster, they're going through it, but they're still unrepentant.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, not even seeing all this and saying, have mercy on me, Lord. You know, it's just silence. They knew what happened. They knew who did it. But let's just keep quiet. You know, don't mention his name. Don't anger him anymore. You know, maybe don't poke the bear a little bit. But even then, don't even call out for repentance or for mercy. Just stay silent. Just how devastating that is. Well, it
2: also shows where not only their heart is, but also how and they don't know their God because he says, I'm willing to forgive and repent. That's what I love about Jonah. He says, I knew you were merciful. Mm-hmm. They don't even understand that part of his character.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how quick and how ready the Lord is to forgive for all those who call on him, but instead they remain silent. And we'll see that silence pick up in a couple chapters the same idea comes out again, but here in a sli- in there in a slightly different way. But they're not even willing to mention the name of the Lord who brought this disaster upon them. For behold, the Lord commands, and the great house shall be struck down into fragments, and the little house into bits. So here there is this completeness of from those great houses to even the little, the little houses, the little shacks on the edges of town those are going to be struck down torn into little bits it's not just you know the wealthy are going to be destroyed but complete decimation here from the rich to the very poor tearing it down then in verse 12 get some two odd questions do horses run on rocks there's one plow there with oxen. So here these are things that are just completely against their nature. Well, Noah, a horse isn't going to run on rocks. Even we wouldn't run on rocks without twisting an ankle or doing anything like that. So there's one plow there with oxen. No. But you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. So just as... A horse running on the rocks is against its nature, and ploughing without ox ploughing with oxen is against nature, so turning justice into poison. Something that is good and right and just has now been turned into poison. Something that was meant for their good and for the good of those around them has now been distorted and perverted in such a way that it is poison the fruit of righteousness, into wormwood here. You who rejoice in lo-debar, who say, have we not by our own strength captured carnium for ourselves? So you'll see in that little manuscript note, the three, lo-debar meaning nothing. And so lo is a negation, and then debar is a thing, a word, or something like that. It's kind of like logos in Greek where it can kind of serve a bunch of different functions, but it's not a thing. So it's turned into nothing. So those who rejoice in nothingness, is complete vanity. You're rejoicing in that. And they're the ones who are saying, have we not by our own strength captured Karnaim for ourselves? So they're where the Lord should be the one who's giving them their strength they should be thankful for him, thankful to him for all that he has done, granting them these victories. And they're saying, no, we've, we've done it on our own. You know, pat ourselves on the back. Didn't we do such a great job with all of our military fortifications and our military mind? Again, connections to today. For behold, I will raise up against you a nation... O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts, and they shall oppress you from Lebo Hamath to the brook of the Arabah. And so the study note, where is it? In 614, uh, the Lebo Hamath, the city in northern Lebanon beyond Israel's northern border, brook of the Arabah, lower lower border, the northern kingdom not far from northern end of the salt sea by means of these geographical references amos conveys yet another way the impending devastation will be all-encompassing kind of from the top to the bottom it's complete destruction press you from all the way up there down to the brook of arabah and then that's the end of the sermon amen let's rise for prayer Essentially, just how pastors would be preaching that way of, you know, they shall oppress you from all the way up here down to here, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> Come back. Just how completely different it is with Amos preaching here against this wicked nation of Israel. And he's not concerned about, you know, making everyone happy or doing all that. He sees the coming destruction, and he's being faithful to what God has called them to do and to call out that unfaithfulness, call them to repentance, and, well, it doesn't matter if he makes you happy or not. He's called to speak the truth, and that's what he's going to do. And we'll see that here in the next, it in chapter 7 with Amaziah the priest. He definitely gets upset at Amos. So we'll see that carry on throughout here. Then we're going to be moving on into five visions that the Lord shows to Amos. And we'll kind of show some of the distinctions there. Kind of, we're moving on to another section. And so it's a clear kind of break in Amos's preaching here. Before we move on to that, are there any thoughts, questions?
1: Could you talk a little more about the um, the uh, the line? Uh, let's see, verse uh, chapter six, verse ten. It's a long verse, I guess, but where um, he shall say silence. We must not mention the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and how that might apply to today, or or just even what's happening there. That. The, the, the men that goes in And then what does that mean That part of the innermost parts of the house Could we just spend a little time mm-hmm. Looking at that
0: Yeah so on the innermost part of the house Didn't read a whole lot Or people didn't have a whole lot to say but I would think kind of the innermost Kind of showing he's not just kind of On the outside of the house And there's nobody there but he's going into the very middle The entire house Kind of showing it's completely empty No one's left and there. So I think that's kind of what's what they're getting at into the innermost part. But then with the silence was a the question there again just spending a little more time on that and what it what it means.
1: Um, yeah, would that be kind of like in a dominantly secular world of saying like don't talk to me about God. I don't, I don't want to hear about. Just quit talking about God. You Mm-hmm. Something that you might hear. Um, is there an equivalent there? You think to that, or and and the innermost parts of the house is that the church at the time there, looking for righteous in the church and being just.
2: No, I, I think he's talking when he's saying the innermost part of the house usually, which is a courtyard of a house. In our day, it would be the safe room. You know, if you had a big, rich house, you'd have a safe room. That's where you would think you'd be safe, but there's no sound coming out of it. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, he says, why not bring up God? Why would they? I mean, it's funny to, in a school shooting incident, they scream, why did God allow this to happen? But you took prayer out of the school, and you took God out of the school. So why are you wanting to invite him back in if you don't want him in the first place? I mean, you have to understand their their thinking, you know, to almost get that part of it. To say, hey, why 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 are you blaming God for something you already told them you didn't want him? So, you know, because you hear that all the time. To me, that's what it's, I pick up as saying is why calling on God when you, you don't want to call on him before.
0: Yeah, I think as far as if kind of connections to today, if that would be kind of the pagans saying, no, 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 I don't want to hear about God. I think here it's actually, it's the God's chosen people of Israel. They're the ones that are saying silence. So it's not even, you know, the pagan nations of the first six oracles that, hey, we don't want to hear anything about God. It's the ones who were given the covenant and were God's chosen people. And now they're this complete turning of their back on him. So it'd be like a believer, you know, and then saying silence, you know. So even more of a grievous, you're, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just more severe there.
1: no
0: mm-hmm. use. in what way do you mean no use? We
2: know God's brought the Partly our fault.
0: Oh, as far as no use now? Yeah. God has done this. And, mm-hmm. But it would still be a time for repentance. Reach out and
2: pray. mm-hmm.
0: be yeah, because, I mean, that's ultimately what this judgment is for, yeah. or all these don't reach out acts of God here is yeah. to call them to repentance. Yes. And he's, you know, we had those five or seven different kind of plagues that he had sent, you know, striking them with light and mildew and all these things. It wasn't just for fun that the Lord did it. He was saying... Come back, seek me, and live, but you didn't return, and
2: they're still not.
0: And they're still not. Absolutely.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, the, so, my question, I guess, is: yeah. is that a uh, is that something given in earnest? Silence. We must not mention the name of the Lord. Like you don't deserve to at this point, or or is that? This is
0: what the wicked say. We must not mention the name of God. Let's see. Ten men. You keep the subject straight in this. Yes. One who anoints him for burial should take him and bring him in. So it's these ten men. So they're the ones that have died. And then one of the relatives, so still within that family unit, so still kind of the people, the chosen people here, they are the ones that are saying Silence. And we shall not mention the name of the Lord here. And so I would, I mean, you can kind of read into it several different ways there. And we'll, let me see, where is exactly is it bringing it up again? Let's see. I've got so many highlights and random lines going every which way I could can't find the specific one. The study oh.
2: Bible says, rather than repent, they say, oh my God, they are afraid to speak it knowing God has brought the punishment.
0: hmm Yeah. So I think it is that, you know, they know who's done it. You know, they, but they still could have and should have called out for mercy of, you know, save us from future judgment, you know, but still this silence here. Yeah, Master? Well, yeah,
3: after after your last comments, I'm not sure I have much to add, but I think it's descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive, and mm. what's happening here is a horrific scene. Obviously, it begins in verse 8 where the Lord declares that he abhors the pride of Jacob and hates his strongholds because he's put his, you know, Jacob's put his trust in these things, right? The people trust their own might rather than the Lord. Mm -hmm. So God will deliver up that city and all that is in it. That's to a foreign invading army. Mm -hmm. And if 10 men are in one house, they shall die from the invading army going to slaughter everyone inside. And then one's relative, um, who's not obviously there at the time of the slaying or maybe escapes somehow, um, by hiding. Then he has to, uh, anoint the bodies for burial, bring the bones out of the house. Um, And then shall say to him who is in the innermost parts of the house, is there anyone with you? He shall say no. I mean, this is like all fear and, you know, the sense of God's judgment has just come in this horrific slaughter. And then there's just, it's this description of, I mean, it's really just despair and horror. Mm -hmm. Um, Silence. We must not mention the name of the Lord. Like, just, you're better to just keep your mouth shut and your head down. You don't know if you're going to upset him or not. There's just, this is his judgment upon us. It's the, you know, like, from Ecclesiastes, there's a time to shut up. And that's, that's what's being stated here. So there, I don't really think there's necessarily a commentary on, like, is this healthy or not, like, <laughs> for yeah. faith, right? We're kind of, like, below that level of consideration. Yeah.
0: So maybe that helps paint a picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Anything else on that before we get into the visions? All right, so into seven one. So this first vision is going to be that of locusts, then there's the vision of fire, then the plumb line, then randomly a basket of summer fruit, and then the Lord toppling the temple. So these are going to be the five visions that we're going through. So the first one, this is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts, when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout, and behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. Which is a very descriptive agricultural commentary here. If you want to know more about it, look at the study note for 7-1. But basically, it's the worst possible time that the Lord would be sending these locusts there for them. So when they finished, then in 2, when they had finished eating the grass of the land... As when the locusts finish eating the grass, I said, as Amos, O Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. So here we get the first instance of Amos being a mediator on behalf of the people of Israel. Of Lord, please forgive them. Have mercy on them we saw this, remember, back with Sodom and Gomorrah and all that scene. Abraham saying, you know, Lord, what if there's, I will remember how many. He plays all these number games of about a hundred righteous or even ten. What about just one? You know, would you spare them for that? So we have Abraham as the mediator. We have Amos here as a mediator. Moses mediated for the people of Israel a number of times when the Lord... Kind of gets fed up with the people, and he says, "I'm going to strike them down." And Moses is saying, "You know, please, please have mercy." So he's the mediator, and then ultimately fulfilled in Christ, who is the ultimate mediator for us, on behalf of us to the Father. So here we get the first instance of uh, Amos mediating on behalf of the wicked people of Israel. He calls them small. He is so small. He's just. This tiny little nation, how can he stand? So then the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. And so if you want to read more about that in the study Bible, you can look at page 1079. It gives a commentary. Since you all have, or mostly you have that, we'll read something that you guys wouldn't have in front of you, and that's from the Concordia commentary. So who is he by? It's Lessing's, yeah. Blessing's commentary says on this passage, This indicates that instead of carrying out the fully justified Sinai covenant curse upon apostate Israel, he freely chooses to act in pure grace by forgiving the people's sin. In no respect do they deserve his forbearance or merit the blessings promised in the Torah of Moses. They rejected the Torah of Yahweh, broke his statutes, worshipped idols, as Amos in 2.4 states about Judah, and so they deserve nothing but Yahweh's judgment fire. It continues on, For the knowledge of God, his people are dependent upon his self-revelation in the scriptures. The unfolding of changing events in subsequent earthly history can show how God has indeed been faithful to his word of both law and gospel. God himself, however, is immutable and omniscient, that is, he does not change, and he knows all. He knows beforehand all things, what he will do, and how people will or will not respond. When God changes his verdict toward people or redirects events in earthly history, this does not in any way conflict with his immutability or omniscience, which must be confessed as essential doctrines of God. So as one of the natures of God as immutable, he does not change But here we see God relenting, and so kind of toying that line there. But the Lord can freely show grace and mercy to whom he wills. So the Lord knows what's going to go on, but that's, again, foreknowledge versus that, you know, all that there. And so the Lord relented. So he has mercy on them. So he shows them grace even though they don't deserve it. So well, we see that with us, undeserving of God's grace, but our Lord has mercy undeservedly for us, for our sake that we may have salvation. So the Lord has relented. And so if you want to read more on that, the study, study note on page 1079 gives a little more good commentary. Don't want to spend forever on that. We could have probably a couple studies on the Nature of God in that way. But nevertheless, the Lord has mercy and he says, It shall not be, said the Lord. So that's the first of the visions that he has. Any questions on that? Before we move on. Right, verse 4 This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire. And it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. So remember with all the previous... Remember if it was with Judah as well, there's a promise of fire. But all those previous oracles against all the pagan nations, we had the Lord sending fire. So here in the second vision, we have a fire that's so great that it devours the great deep. So fire is so strong that it devours water, which hard to imagine a fire that intense, but it devours the great deep, and it was even eating up the land as a result of its might. Then I said, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be said the Lord God. So here we have that same kind of pattern, but here instead of Amos saying, O Lord, please forgive, saying, please cease. So, unrepentance continuing. So just, even if you don't forgive, just cease this destruction for their sake. And that's the last of Amos' intercessions on behalf of the people. So first it's pleading for forgiveness, then for just stopping the destruction, and then the rest of the visions, we just get a description of what's what's going to happen here. So, Lord relents, relented concerning this. Shall not This also shall not be, said the Lord God. Verse 7, we get the third vision, that of the plumb line. So, the plumb line, that's what to make, you know, a wall straight and everything. So, that's what he's referring to here. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. So here we get the description of the Lord standing there beside a wall. So this personification of the Lord, this physicalness of the Lord, that of second person of the Trinity here, I would say. So the Lord is standing there. He is able to see the Lord physically standing there with the plumb line in, in his hand. So Christ as you know, the judge And everything, he's the one measuring his people. So we have Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ here, standing there with that plumb line. The Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Great answer, Amos. Very, very perceptive of you. Thank you. A plumb line, of course. Then the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. So the Lord is he is still my people here. Previously, it was just kind of the clan of Israel. Remember me talking about that? All throughout scripture, it's kind of been my chosen people, my holy people. But then they kind of get demoted to just another clan. No different than the pagan nations. They're called clans as well. But here we get... My people. We'll set that plumb line in the midst of my people. So we get a little bit of that restoration of them here. The futureness of that. So in the midst of my people, I will never again pass by them. So there was it had a note somewhere on that, but We'll see that carry on here a little bit and see if my train of thought comes back to me. So, we'll never again pass by them. Oh, it's the language of um, with the passing through of the angel of death and everything. We'll never again pass by them. Can't remember if it's the same word that you use there. We'll never pass by them in the midst of them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate. And the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. So there's just complete destruction. Sanctuaries will be laid waste. These high places just made desolate. So he will never again pass by them and there will be this destruction. Any questions on that before we get to kind of Amaziah. I do, but I have to look up something. Okay. okay we'll I'll get ask back. It later. Sounds good. You also. So then verse starting in verse 10, so Amaziah the priest of Bethel. Maybe I
2: can ask it you you would know what I'm referring to. Okay. Okay, the passing by. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of uh, the the disciples who are on the water and Christ appeared to him, and he acted as if he was going on. And the same in the to Emmaus. Mm. His disciples were talking to him, and they came to the house, and then Christ acted as though he was going on. And mm-hmm. Christ acted as if he were going on, or yeah. was he going on? And they said, come in. Mm.
0: Yeah, I would have to see what the, since that would be in the Greek, see if they kind of use the same word here. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament It
2: sticks in my mind because years ago I read the Wormbrandt uh, book About his experiences in Russia Mm -hmm. And um, two, if I remember this correctly Two Soviet soldiers were um, attracted to Christ Because they were not told what to do And that example of Christ not forcing himself into the house, but waiting to be invited, turned their hearts toward Christ. So I just wondered what the significance of the passage is.
0: Yeah, I'd have to do some more digging around to see if there's any kind of connection there, but...
3: If I, if I could interject, I don't yeah. think there is. There's okay. no connection. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't yeah, think right? so, because the pass the by them, and Vicar may have said this, I had to step out for a minute, but the pass by them here would be more like, um, think of the language of Passover. Mm-hmm. So the angel of death passes over, that is, he has mm-hmm. mercy, and he's okay. saying, I will never again pass by, or I will never again pass over them. That is, the judgment's going to fall upon them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so then... Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, wants to get Amos in trouble here, starting in verse 10. So he goes to Jeroboam, the king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. Yeah, because it's pretty law-heavy, and you're right in the bullseye of his target here. So they're not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos had said... Or has said. So it's not for thus says the Lord. But here, this is what Amos says not that all these words are coming from the Lord against us, but this is just Amos making up his own thing. And even Amaziah here, he actually twists Amos' words in verse 11. Quotes Amos as having said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. He's actually quoting is verse 9. The Sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. So he's instead making this, you know, he's going to come after you, he's going to attack you with the sword and put you down. And so you need to take care of this Amos guy, because after all, this is just what Amos is saying and not, what, not the judgment of the Lord against the people of Israel. So Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there. But never again prophesied Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is a temple of the kingdom. So Amaziah kind of has this feigned flattery here of O seer, you know, you great and wise person, but go flee, go flee from the land or to the land of Judah. So, you're not welcome here. Get out. You know, go, go somewhere else. Go pester someone else with your judgments of the Lord. We can't, we can't bear it here. But never again prophesy at Bethel. So, here we get, again, that language of never again. This pastor said that never again the Lord will pass by them. So, he's saying never again prophesy here. We don't want the word of the Lord to us. We want silence instead. We'd rather have that silence. So don't prophesy at Bethel. You'll recall Bethel is translated as the house of God. So now Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, not the house of God, not the Lord's sanctuary. It's the king's. So you're not welcome here. Don't prophesy, don't bring the Lord's words here. Go on, go eat your bread somewhere else, go make your living is what he's accusing him of. of saying, you're just kind of a prophet for money. That is your livelihood. That's what you do for a living. So go move on to the next town and go sell it to someone else. The Namath answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs, but the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, "Go prophesy to my people, Israel." So he's saying, "I wasn't a prophet by choice. This isn't my living. I didn't choose to do this. I was a herdsman, a dresser of sycamore figs get language of the figs, popping up, if you'll recall from our March study there. So he's saying, "I was no prophet, not even a prophet's son. This is what the Lord called me to do. I am giving it to you, and that's simply that. It's not my living. I'd rather not be here, frankly, because I'm probably going to end up dead. And tradition says that Amos is actually beaten to death by Amaziah with a club. It's in our study notes. We bring that up. So whether or not that actually happened, don't know. But he's saying, I didn't, I didn't want to do this. I'm not what I want. I'd rather not be preaching hellfire and brimstones to you and fear for my life. But nevertheless, the Lord took me and he called me to do this. And so he is doing it. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. He's saying, "Don't don't prophesy against us. That's what they're saying. Don't preach against this house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord. Before Amzai was saying, thus says Amos. Now you want to know what the Lord has to say? This is what he has to say. Therefore, thus says the Lord, goes on the offensive. Your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be divided up with the measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. So we have this prophecy of his wife will become just a prostitute, you know, raped and everything. That's what her future is, your sons and your daughters. So your future, the future of your name Shall fall by the sword. Your land is going to be divided up. The measuring lines is going to be completely decimated and you know parted out or split apart for parts here. And you yourself shall die in an unclean land. So the unclean land, the land that would be worshiping pagan gods. So that's the land that you're going to be at, and that's where you're going to die, not in the land of. God, not God's holy land here, but rather an unclean land, garbage dump. That's where, that's where your future is. And Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. So that is their future. So it moves from his wife to his sons and the land and he himself and then Israel as a whole here. Again, not too much gospel going on yet. <laughs> kind of a depressing, depressing on Amos's part here. But luckily the Lord is the one that penned this for our sake, for the sake of the people. So we can keep on going through it, and we'll get through it and there'll be a little bit of hope left in the end. And ultimately we know the future of Israel from them comes Christ, ultimately, but then... Their destruction does come. But the Lord keeps a remnant for the sake of the Messianic line that is to come. We've got just a couple minutes here. I'll just start very briefly in chapter 8 here. So this is going to be the fourth vision. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? Again, obvious question. And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Good job, Amos. Gold star for you. You can see what it is. And the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. So the fruit basket, the connection of the fruit and the end. So we bring back images of the harvest. People in this time would have recognized that. You know, the the harvest has come, there's the ripeness, then there's the decay, kind of finality of it, the end of the season is has come here. And so there's actually a connection, what's the language? I don't have the Hebrew in front of me. But there's a word play there of basket of fruit. Oh, in the first manuscript note. The end is hakates, and the summer fruit is kayitz. So kind of a word play here of the end and the summer fruit kind of it's called sometimes a word play vision here so this is the end that is coming because it sounds kind of like a fruit basket here so we'll hit more on that on next week but this is kind of the climax of his book here of this end the end has come for my people this is the end for them so on that cheery note are there any other questions before we end Stay tuned for next week. It'll keep getting worse for a little bit and then it may get a little better. Then we'll be moving on to more minor prophets, you know, that are still preaching against wicked people potentially. So, with that, the Lord be with you.